Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. And welcome to John Solomon Reports. I'm Amanda Head filling in for John today and the next few days until he returns on Monday. I am so happy that you are with us today. We've got a pretty incredible show planned for you today. We're actually going to start things off with an interview that John conducted with Mike Howell, who is the director of the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation. He is also the former chief legal point of contact in the office of the general counsel at the Department of Homeland Security. And he served as an attorney up on Capitol Hill for the Senate Homeland and Governmental Affairs Committees and House Oversight Committee. So John took a deep dive with him on all things Hunter Biden. So you're going to want to make sure that you stay tuned for that. And coming up after that, we have Tim Stewart, who is the president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association. We try to have him on the show regularly to keep us up to date with what's happening in the oil and gas sector. And he has a lot to update us on with respect to energy and some of these asinine policies of the Biden administration. And to round out our trio of interviews today, I want to bring on one of John's very talented reporters over at Just the News. She is Natalia Middlestadt, and she covers the election integrity beat for John. So she's got a couple different stories that we're going to talk about. Most notably, a list of recommendations from the Honest Elections Project. These are some important adjustments that they feel are absolutely necessary for our elections to be as pure as possible. So stick around and we will be back in just a moment after these messages from our sponsors. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it, with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. 
Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Welcome back from the commercial break. I want to start off with a few major headlines circulating over on justthenews.com. This is one of the top headlines right now regarding 10 Republican state senators in the state of Oregon who are now banned from running for office per their state's Supreme Court. I know this sounds unbelievable. So these GOP Oregonians staged a six-week walkout, which was the longest walkout in Oregon's history. It resulted in Hundreds of bills being stalled. Now, the walkouts were in protest of bills on abortion, guns and transgenderism. And the high court decided in favor of Oregon Secretary of State LaVon Griffin Velade, who officially disqualified them from running for office after the voters of that state voted in favor of a measure that was on their ballot. Measure 113. This was back in 2022 to keep those lawmakers or any lawmaker with more than 10 unexcused absences from running for office again. So, gosh, we are in pretty uncharted waters right now. And this just kind of adds to the heap of evidence that if Democrats can't win elections, they just want to take their opponents off the ballot. Uh, challenges to President Trump appearing on ballots have been filed in at least 35 states and remain un unresolved in 16. So, we're going to stay on top of this because the U.S. Supreme Court is going to hear oral arguments in an appeal of Colorado's court-ordered Trump removal uh, next week. So, by the way, it's not just Republicans. Uh, Democrats are also working to keep RFK Jr. off of primary and state ballots because of the effect that it might have on Joe Biden's reelection chances. So it's important to note that. All right. In some transportation DEI news recently, we have seen a number of harrowing videos of airline malfunction and mishap. And it's all kind of happening within the uh, the airline space. FAA under Biden has uh, pledged to continue its DEI efforts. In a nutshell, um, I, I, you guys have to go and check out this story on justthenews.com by Stephen Richards. It's incredible. It's long, but it's fully worth your read because it just kind of... Um, just kind of reinforces the the ludicrosity is that even a word of these DEI measures and how it's impacting Americans. It's 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 quite scary, uh, to be honest. So in a nutshell, he talks in this article about a group of students who had participated in the FAA Collegiate Training Initiative, CTI, which was designed to prepare students to become air traffic control specialists. All of a sudden, in 2013, these students received an email that the scores they got on the cognitive and skills-based test, known as the ATSAT, 
would be discounted. They were going to have to pass a biographical survey before retaking the cognitive portion of the test. Well, as it turns out, uh, only 14% of these students ended up passing this new biographical questionnaire, even though half of them had previously passed the skills-based test and met all of the pre-qualifications to be referred by the FAA to advance to the next level in becoming an air traffic control specialist. So one of them sued, and this is one of them whose career had basically been derailed by this biographical portion of the test, and he filed a class action lawsuit. Now, again, this was 11 years ago. This was before any of us, any of us really realized how insidious this DEI stuff is. And apparently they've been shoving it into professions like this where the stakes are literally life and death. And it's been flying under the radar for at least 11 years, pun intended. Uh, and many of these initiatives came out even earlier than that. They date back to at least 2008 under Obama uh, or during the Obama administration by the National Black Coalition of Federal Aviation Employees. So, oh, Lordy, are you folks paying attention? This is this is very, very scary. All right. So last year, 19 near misses at airports across America could have led to deadly disasters. Now, per Stephen Richards reporting over on justthenews.com last week, Utah Senator Mike Lee along with Ohio Senator J.D. Vance and Indiana Senator Mike Braun sent a fiery letter to the FAA raising questions about the agency's use of hiring quotas to achieve their DEIA goals. Now, DEIA, by the way, stands for, of course, diversity, equity and inclusion. And then they add accessibility. So I don't, I don't know if this is going to end up being like the LGBT thing where they just keep adding letters and eventually they get lazy and give up and then they just put a plus sign at the end. I don't know. We'll have to see where that goes. But the senators highlighted their concerns that the FAA is essentially prioritizing DEIA over keeping the American people safe while they are traveling. All right. So back to that organization that I mentioned from 2008, the National Black Coalition of Federal Aviation Employees. They commissioned an analysis of data obtained from the FAA and its reporting to the EEOC and declared that the FAA was the, quote, least diverse, unquote, agency. Now, that is a very scary scarlet letter in a world where immutable characteristics were just beginning to reign supreme. So the NBC FAE and some of its allied organizations began to pressure the FAA, the first organization to give them a helping hand, well, that would be none other than Rainbow Push, the social justice organization founded by none other than Reverend Jesse Jackson. Now, at the urging of these organizations, the FAA conducted a barrier analysis of the training that I mentioned earlier. Now, it found that the ATSAT cognitive and skills-based tests were a so-called barrier to African-Americans, women, Asians, and Hispanics. So, of course, that means it's racist, duh. So you can imagine what rolled out after that. The FAA's Office of Civil Rights recommended that the agency revise or replace the traditional skills-based ATSAT. So they dump the skills, they replace it with diversity uh, because, you know, diversity is our strength, right? Unless the plane crashes and then, I don't know, what happens to diversity after that? But I'm going to send you over to justthenews.com to read Stephen Richards' analysis on all of this because it's it, it's extremely important and it is a microcosm of our culture at large. I think many of us knew from the very beginning 
how concerning these DEI measures were. But for a while, maybe it seemed like they were just pushing it in fairly uh, benign, inconsequential areas. But now it's infected very high stakes careers like air traffic controllers, pilots, surgeons. Now we have to worry about whether the person who opens up our chest to replace heart valves is actually the most qualified person or if they were the one who ticked off the most boxes. So, oh boy, this is all getting very scary for me. So on that note, let's take you to John's interview with Mike Howell about the Heritage Foundation's oversight project and the latest in the Hunter Biden investigation. Hey folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews, and for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews and extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you your 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick house nutrition and of course field of greens all you got to do to take advantage of this offer visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code just news that's promo code just news at fieldofgreens.com don't wait go to fieldofgreens.com today use the promo code just news for 15 percent off all right folks welcome back for the commercial break i'm really excited to have this next guest on we had him on the tv show we've had him on several times before but at the Heritage Foundation, there is one of the most consequential accountability projects I've seen in my 35 plus years here in Washington. And it's called the Oversight Project. And it, its name is simple, but its mission 
is important, complex, and I think impactful. We need to understand how much our government has been compromised by bad behavior, by bad ethics, and by bad actors, particularly foreign actors. And Mike Howell, who did this work first in Congress at the Oversight Committee, now at the Heritage Foundation, I think he's doing some of the most impactful work in this country to highlight where our leaders are getting led astray, where they're being bought off, where bribery and foreign corrupt practices are becoming more and more common. And his team at the Oversight Project of the Heritage Foundation, man, they are hitting home runs. Sometimes I say I'm interviewing a newsmaker today. I'm interviewing a newsbreaker. This man breaks news with his extraordinary gift of investigation. Joining us right now from Heritage Foundation, from the Oversight Project, my good friend, Mike Howell. Mike, welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Hey, thanks so much. And thanks for the kind words. We're just trying to catch up with you out there, man. You guys are doing such important work. And I also, you know, sometimes I get in the weeds and, you know, you're cranking out investigative stories and you sometimes forget that maybe you've uh, painted a much larger mosaic and that there's a bigger story coming on. And when I think of the launch of the Oversight Project, I think one of its first reports uh, may have really captured the last decade. When you look at Hunter Biden, you look at uh, uh, the Russia collusion delusion uh, and uh, so many things. Our enemies uh, overseas have figured out that if you can capture the elites in this great country, if you can capture uh, the Davos crowd and the uh, liberal limousine crowd and the think tank crowd in Washington, you as an enemy of the United States can use them uh, through money and influence to carry out your anti-American agenda in the United States. And your first, uh, one of your first projects, I don't know if it's actually the first, but certainly the one I remember most on the launch of the Oversight Project was a report said, elite capture, why America is losing in the political warfare arena and what can be done. And it took really the last decade of extraordinary scandals that we've done, step back and said, look, listen, this isn't an accident. America's enemies are capturing elites and the elites are doing their bidding. Tell us a little bit about the inspiration for that project. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the highest level framing thought, and this is kind of our origin story, is that we're living in the most corrupt period of American history. And that, that is truer every single day. I think if you take the last you know 15 years just to set a, a marker down, We've lived through so many cycles of outrageous things and have failed as a public to really diagnose the, the trend line. And so much of this has been normalized and scandalized into like partisan pockets that uh, the trend line has been lost. And a lot of the means and methods of corruption have become so normalized, regularized, and even you know, legalized and institutionalized that we're just used to it and think that this is the status quo. And one great example now you hear a lot of the defense of, of Hunter and Joe Biden as, well, everybody does that. And I, I personally think that's absolutely unacceptable. First off, it's not true. And if it were, that would be a five-alarm fire. I mean, certainly way too many do that, but it's not okay for that reason that it's become common practice. And so that is one of the guiding you know, uh, views of the Oversight Project is to put stuff out here that wakes up the American public that we don't have to live this way. We don't have to have to be governed by corrupted politicians and, and institutions uh, that we should, you know, strive to be the free society that, you know, this experiment in democracy in a constitutional republic that we were intended to be. And so that first report you brought out, I think, is uh, it's about a concept called elite capture. And when we talk about corruption, you know, one of the first things that's conjured up in your mind is the most explicit forms. 
you know, the stuff that FBI raids happen over when they when they still happen in this country because so often they just let it go, you know, bags of money in exchange for direct, you know, political favors and that kind of stuff. But there's really a range of the way the elites and the politicians become compromised. And one of those ways that is really most common is called elite capture. And this is particularly a weapon of the CCP through centuries. Uh, they have, you know, identified this as, as the way to influence foreign governments and, and others that they wish to, you know, control or influence by, by means lesser than other more overt measures of corruption. And so what elite capture basically is, and, and the report goes into this, if you, you go to our website at heritage.org slash oversight, you'll, you'll see it all written out. And it was actually drafted by one of my colleagues who spent some time in the intelligence community and then believed that this was happening so much and the U.S. was doing so little about it, this is something we needed to shot from the mountaintop. And so elite capture is essentially when, we'll use China as example here, seeks to better, you know, get into the orbit of the most powerful people in this country by uh, around the edges kind of activity, whether it's ingratiating family members or associates uh, with gifts, dinners, relationships, or whether it's through providing jobs or intertwining economic interests, whether it's through lobbying through the robust nonprofit sector in the United States, uh, those sorts of, of tactics so that the principal, the intended target of this, over time becomes more sympathetic uh, to the cause of the enemy and less apt to take, you know, harsher actions against them. And this is what we really see on steroids with the Hunter Biden, uh, you know, criminal enterprise that was being run, is that you have now after this, you know, very long, the, the Biden family corruption scheme lasted decades, but really picked up in, towards, in terms of its foreign influence peddling as of late. That was the game plan to get some of the most corrupt corners of the world, whether it's, you know, Ukraine interests, you know, even Romania, or people with direct national security uh, conflicts with us in, in the CCP, intertwined with the CCP political elements. And that's what they did. They basically bought off the, the first son and, and showered the family with uh, more money than they ever made before. And now you have, as global, you know, uh, tensions are heating up, a president who is compromised in that regard, and it's basically an elite capture play on steroids. And there's many such examples. COVID, we saw this really happening. I mean, look no further than Nancy Pelosi going to Chinatown and the media coverage saying that COVID, you know, did not come from a lab, but it was, you know, from a bat, all these sorts of things involving China responsibility. The reason why those psychological operations were successful is because they captured so many of our leads, whether in media uh, corporations or, or politics that they were primed. Or in the scientific community, too. I mean, a lot of scientists were doing China's bidding, even though they're supposed to be neutral arbiters of scientific fact, right? That's absolutely correct. And in the university system, this is replete. I mean, they're everywhere. That, that's clearly that's clearly where China has made great inroads. And for a few years under President Donald Trump, there was a FBI program uh, that targeted uh, Chinese influence in academics and rooted them out. I think there was more than 40 or 50 uh, suspected agents of influence or spies that were kicked out of institutions. And Joe Biden, whose son made a lot of money on China and who he himself gets some indirect payments of, of money that came from China to his family, he shuts it down over the objections of the FBI director. Uh, that's the sort of thing that really shows the consequence, right? And Ian, 
Will we ever be able to prove that China gave the money to Hunter Biden? Hunter Biden got his father to close. No. But the fact that his father would do it after his son received Chinese money, it creates that doubt in the American public that, hey, we can't trust our government anymore. How uh, consequential was shooting down uh, the closing down of the FBI counterintelligence program on American universities? Oh, absolutely huge. I mean, that was the premier. We are taking this seriously, you know, action from the U.S. government in the space. I think when the initiative was announced, there was hope that this would be, you know, the, the tip of the spear to really recognize that we won't have a problem and are deploying our highest assets to solve it. So shutting it down, I think, and, you know, much of the criticisms about it, of course, were from civil liberties and, you know, uh, race baiting kind of corners of our political system. But the types of people who are have been elitely captured. I mean, if you look at the universities, they're one of the biggest lobbying forces on Capitol Hill. A university president gets their congressman or senator on the call in the first dial, the first ring of the phone. This is why even during the Trump administration, when we were looking at uh, you know, ways and policies to prevent you know, Chinese students from continuing to come in during the crisis, that was basically shut down because uh, Congress would have turned on them for it. And, and so they're able to shut these things down because they have captured so many elite you know, parts of the system. Yeah, such a great point. Um, now, across the landscape, this elite capture is being exposed day in and day out. There is a Qatar operation that not only... Uh, ensnared a, a U.S. Senator, Bob Torcelli, but uh, we have military members, uh, uh, former generals that were sweeped up to that. We're hearing there may be prominent lawyers and others and lobbyists who were involved in Qatar, China. You got Patrick Ho, who the FBI has on their radar going back to, I think, 2014 with the FISA program. Uh, and uh, he's he's making a footsie with um, the uh, Hunter Biden and his family while also dealing with not only China, but Iran, according to the court files. Uh, and then, you know, you got Russian oligarchs like Oleg Deripaska playing footsie with FBI counterintelligence agents like um, Charles McGonagall. The, uh, the breadth of this effort, the breadth of our adversaries and their advocates to infiltrate that they've hit military, they've hit the FBI, they've hit the White House, they've hit members of Congress. Uh, there's no part of the political government a system that isn't seen that seems to be immune now from this elite capture. It's it's pretty widespread. It's Russia. It's China. It's Qatar. There's a lot of places where this capture is going on right now, right? Oh, you're absolutely correct. So let's take Qatar first. I think that is probably one of the most sophisticated elite capture uh, operations that's happening here in Washington D.C. I mean, they are literally the landlords of several of our United States senators. They own a large portion of Chinatown. They, they're, I think, a partial owner of the stadium and Washington Wizards play. Um, they, they own City Center, which is the luxury high-end apartment that several of the you know, biggest movers and shakers live in. And, and they have been at the nexus of so many major problems, but continue to gain high level of, of access and have an ever-present lobbying and public relations machinery moving here. I mean... They uh, in, in the Brookings Institution, you know, I think their former president went down due to basically associations with this. And it's kind of at that point, it's about the Department of Justice just picking from the long list of, of people who have, you know, engaged improperly with these these foreign countries to to enforce. If they wanted to enforce all of it, they would take a lot more down. But the, the, the reality is a lot of people are getting really rich and to go after this stuff full bore would really be a such a system shock 
that I don't think they have the, the guts, frankly, to enforce this type of stuff. Same thing goes for Ukraine while we're on the topic. I mean, they have a lot of people got very rich in that region of the world. And you've I know you've been reporting all over this. That's very important. You're right. John McCain was over there on the streets of the color revolution. And a lot of people were lobbying on both sides of that conflict. And the, the only reason we, I think, talk about kind of the Foreign Registration Act, which is you're supposed to register with the government if you're representing a foreign interest, is because the left in their fever pitched you know, efforts to go after Trump, that's what they got like Paul Manafort and others on. Is, is, is the enforcement of the, the federal registration aspects of the law. And they, you know, then they got them with some tax things as well. But after that, you, you recall, registrations under that law skyrocketed because everyone in D.C. who was getting away with murder realized, oh, my gosh, they're actually thinking of enforcing that? And then we look now, and you know they've gone back to really not doing it in an even-handed way because if they were, Hunter Biden is probably the clearest example of somebody acting as a foreign agent. Yeah, and yet still not to be charged, right? He's, he's still never been charged with any wrongdoing, even though one of his lawyers, uh, Kravitz, who worked on the Ukraine um, oligarch case, he recently belatedly filed a fair registration of the Blue Star Strategies firm that also was hired and brought in by Hunter Biden. They've belatedly filed a fair. The only guy who hasn't filed the fair is Hunter Biden. Does that tell you maybe, particularly because the prosecutors keep saying in court they still have one other active area of investigation, that Hunter Biden could still potentially face a um, a fair a prosecution given the recent uh, turn of events in the, the case? So could he and should he? Yes and yes. Will he? Probably no. When we were up in this summer at Hunter Biden's plea deal, where then uh, U.S. Attorney Weiss, who's now the special counsel, was asked this basically by the judge saying, does anything in this plea deal preclude the enforcement of you know later or charge, bringing charges under FARA? And Hunter Biden's understanding was, yes, through that sham plea deal, he was off the hook for that. And so it was acknowledged in that setting that there, there was potentially other investigative activities under FARA. But when Weiss became special counsel, which we all knew was some fake cover because uh, they wanted to remove him from congressional oversight and accountability, uh, they're still only charging him for tax and gun crimes. And the reason why I think so much pressure has been brought to, brought to bear on Weiss is because how politically destructive it would be to the Biden regime if the first son was you know, acknowledged by the U.S. government to be a foreign agent. This is everything they accused Donald Trump and others of doing. And now you'd have President Biden's son being charged, acting as a foreign agent. And there's an argument to be made that Joe Biden was acting as one as well. Yeah, that's a big that is a big question. You have lots of other projects where you're using the Freedom of Information Act, the um, whistleblowers and um, uh, from the FBI and other agencies. You've really been able to assemble an extraordinary uh, uh, line of stories that I think people get the facts. They realize, oh, my gosh, this is something that should be in the mainstream media. Now, is it in the mainstream media often? That's that's a shameful part of it. But tell us maybe three or four of the investigations where you think you're currently having impact and that are over the horizon that are going to potentially have a, an impact on the election, on government uh, coming forward, because you guys are doing really, really impactful work. I appreciate it. And real quick, I'll just say the theory underpinning all this. And I'm a, I'm a former congressional oversight guy and, and did the defense side in the Trump administration. And I realized that exchange of information between the two branches has completely broken down over the, you know, the decade plus I've been doing this. That's a result of constitutional, you know, Supreme Court cases kind of 
shifting the balance of do you have to turn over documents leaning towards no now to just the hyper partisan nature and the breakdown of you know the institutional exchange of information so recognizing that congress largely only celebrates the ask of the question and they rarely get the documents they seek we decided we were going to start this thing where we aggressively litigate on FOIA and deploy our own investigations to seek similar information that Congress cannot get. And so that's why we do these things. And then the biggest areas where we've been able to put points on the board, um, I'm a border guy, worked at DHS, did a lot of border policy on the Hill. So the first target really was Secretary Mayorkas. I mean, everyone with two cells in their brain smelled what they were doing as soon as Biden hit the campaign trail about the open border. And so we've been able... One, we were the ones who found out that during that fake whipping hoax down in Del Rio where they said Border Patrol agents whipped migrants, I mean, I saw that and knew that was fake as, you know, fake can be. And so we went in and found out that Mayorkas knew it was fake as well when he went to the White House podium and lied to everyone in the country. And so we were able to clear the names of the Border Patrol agent. And, you know, since then, we've been able to map out all the interactions that Mayorkas has with the Soros-connected nonprofit infrastructure, which is really dictating immigration policy, not only in the United States, but in Europe and elsewhere in terms of just an international open borders movement to, to you know, basically bring what they'll call the global south into the, the Western world because they don't believe the Western world should continue to exist. That's, that's what's happening. Uh, and, and we see just some of the craziness there. Down at the border, we were able to catch them uh, telling Border Patrol agents that they had to use the preferred pronouns of illegal aliens when crossing the border, which is just absolutely insane, especially when you think about all the different languages of people from 100 and I think 80 countries, which is essentially every single one in the, the world that showed up during the Biden administration. Um, another key area has been the Hunter Biden investigation. Obviously a huge focus of Congress, but Congress hasn't been able to get much out of the DOJ. They're getting butts and seats from third-party witnesses, and Comer, Chairman Comer, to his credit, has gotten so much out of the third-party banks but the weak spot for getting information out in those investigations, and that's due to no fault of Comer or anyone else, is that the Biden administration has obstructed them and not turned anything over. So we have sued numerous times at the FBI and DOJ level for a lot of the Hunter Biden-related uh, documents in the, the Biden administration's handling of that fake you know, prosecution against him, up until the point where we were in Delaware opposing uh, the, the plea deal, it submitted an 800-page brief outlining all of our findings and the reason why the, the judge up in Delaware, Noriaka, should reject it, and we were happy to see she did. And so then they kicked it over to the new special counsel, Weiss, who's the old you know, U.S. attorney, and we're still suing him at every, every step of the way about uh, some of the lies he's told to Congress. And so another key area we've been, and I, I think this is really, really terrifying as you know somebody who, who – has worked in government bureaucracy is the degree to which the Biden administration has built out a very sophisticated architecture to implement the most radical trans ideology at every single department and agency. So we all know the Biden administration is all for this kind of stuff from the podiums uh, and, you know, in their litigation, all this kind of stuff. They, they think that children should be not only, you know, be able to transition transgender, they should be encouraged to recruited to, but what we're finding out as we go ripping through all these agencies is the professional bureaucracy they're building around that. I mean, here's one example. In the Bureau of Prisons, federal prisons, so that's some bad, bad guys in federal prison. They basically build out a bureaucracy where a federal prisoner, if he decides he wants to be transgender, asks his warden, his warden takes it to a, a panel that they've assembled of psychologists, far left NGO types, doctors, all this stuff, to rubber stamp that. And then the taxpayer pays not only 
for, you know, the most basic elements of a transgender surgery, but things up until facial hair removal or all these kinds of things. And then we've also found out that when you look at the rate of transgender prisoners, and then we've got this out of Wisconsin, actually, disproportionately, and I'm talking 51% in the state of Wisconsin, transgender prisoners that were seeking to, you know, switch to the other gender's prison, they're in there for the most depraved sex crimes. And, and so it's a population in which you're not, you're, you're rewarding with a taxpayer funded surgery that are in there for, you know, sex crimes. And it's, and this is happening across the government at every agency. And I think the, the overall point of it is to ideologically box out and make uncomfortable anyone who objects to create a federal workforce that, uh, it's supplicated in compliance with the far left. They, they want normal people not to work for the federal government because it makes it easier for them. That's the largest employer in the United States. It controls industry behavior, sets standards, et cetera. And so we're mapping that now because we're going to rip that out next conservative administration. And uh, those are some of the highest level ones. We've, we've been all over the place, though. I mean, we're still looking at the 51 intelligence officials. We're mapping the lawfare against President Trump. We're catching Fannie Willis and, and Shana, Shana, Sheena Bellows, if I'm uh, pronouncing her name correct, the Secretary of State in Maine, Sir Trump off the ballot. They're over at the White House all the time. So we're, we're digging through the files, placing them there, uh, mapping the coordination and the political lawfare. So incredibly important and all factual. I mean, what's great about the Oversight Project, there's no spin, there's no conjecture. You're putting out facts and FOIAs and documents and videos and uh, spending records and what you write and what you reveal is rooted in fact. And I think that's what makes it so enduring uh, to the work you've done already. Uh, Mike, for people who don't know how to follow you on Twitter, because I think you're a must follow on Twitter and how to get involved or to, uh, monitor the great work of the Oversight Project. Give us your coordinates. What are the best way to do both? Absolutely. So my personal account is at tweets. Um, That's easy. Yeah, real, real creative name, huh? But the the real account you should follow is that at Oversight PR. That's the letters PR at the end because we couldn't fit all the Oversight Project. And this is really what I want to be, especially as we build out and we have more records than we know what to do with. Frankly, a crowdsourced effort. We'll often just dump the entire document set. And the real, the best investigators are not just you know the guys like me doing this stuff in DC. There is a community out there. On, the, on social media that finds connections I never could have dreamt of and helps us piece together these documents. So hop in there, join the Twitter spaces when we have them, make the connections, put them in context, send us leads, there's a tip line. We want this to be a cultural transformation of not only the right or the left of all of America to be sick and tired of this corruption. And so we want to get the facts and the data out there, let the chips fall where they may. I tend to think they're going to prove, you know, that we have a huge problem, but, you know, that's up to the people. And we just want to instigate that conversation. Yeah, that's important. Conversation is the starting point for all of the solutions we still have to implement in this great country. Mike, great work. Everybody, if you have, aren't following the Oversight Project, you're making a big mistake. Go check them out. Go file Mike at M. Howell Tweets on uh, Twitter. I do. You should. And really enjoy the great work. I'm a huge fan. And we can't wait to get you back on with your next big scoop, Mike. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Boy, oh boy, when it comes to people who know practically every element of the Biden crime family investigations and allegations, those two, John and Mike, are at the very top of the list. So, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we're back, we're going to have Tim Stewart from the U.S. Oil and Gas Association. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back from the commercial break. Many of you have stayed up to date on the border crisis and how Texas is trying to protect its own borders just when the battle between the Biden administration and the state of Texas reached a fever pitch last week. Lo and behold, the Biden administration decided to halt liquefied natural gas exports. So maybe it's just a coincidence or maybe it's punitive. This is one of the many things that I want to talk about with the president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association, Tim Stewart. Welcome. It does. And, you know, it's interesting. We're seeing this kind of the same playbook. Uh, we saw this with gas stoves and other appliances and, and refineries and things like that. And that's what it is, is, is they seize upon one small piece and then they amplify. There they're very much is an echo chamber. Amanda, this LNG issue, is, it's pretty complicated because projects are massive and they are very, very expensive and they need to receive two major sets of regulatory approvals, one from the Department of Energy and one from FERC. And what we have here, the Biden administration, what they've done is they've, they've shifted the balance of weight over to the Department of Energy to review the economic environmental impact of these of these new projects. And in doing so, they uh, opened themselves up for much greater, um, for want of a better word, political manipulation, where FERC would be somewhat immune from that. And that's what's happened here. The really frustrating thing, to your point about the amplification process, is the New York Times itself reported that the Department of Energy brought in a 25-year-old TikTok influencer from Colorado and ultimately made the decision based on what he was, was saying where the youth vote was going. This is entirely a political decision rather than a public, a national security or public interest decision. It's really, really frustrating from the industry's perspective. Yeah, Tim. I mean, it, it seems like inmates are running the asylum daily over at the White House. I didn't expect for it to be a TikTok inmate. Um, so I, I want to ask you, though, because even the Washington Post seems like they have taken a turn away from Biden with respect to his green energy policy. I don't know if they just think that he should be doing different things or more things. And I don't know if we have this tear out from WAPO, but Biden's LNG decision is a win for political symbolism, not the climate. Are they turning on him? I don't know if they're turning on him, but sometimes there, there are decisions made by this administration that don't pass the red face test at all. And in this particular case, you cannot justify this this decision from a foreign affairs and, and an international relations and an international trade perspective as a good idea. Uh, you know, look, U.S. is the largest supplier to Europe based on the Ukraine war, based on the, the restriction of gas, of Russian gas going to the Europeans. This is, was a commitment that we made to our European allies and to our friends in Asia that we would we would make up for the shortfalls. 
we're not good trading partners when we when we back away from agreements that were made just literally months ago. We're not reliable international security partners if we're putting them at risk and forcing them. But the other problem is 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 it forces these countries to look elsewhere. They're going to look to the Middle East. They're going to look to other countries with less uh, stellar environmental records to produce natural gas and buy their LNG. It's really just a silly idea all the way around. And I rarely, if ever, agree with the Washington Post editorial, but in this particular case, they got it right, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and I just want to put things in perspective for our audience. As far as Texas and their LNG exports, everybody, uh, they are the number one provider of that in the United States and the number three provider of LNG exports globally. So when it comes specifically to Europe, Tim, as you were talking about, Europe has a very fragile energy market right now. And the fact that we are falling down on that promise is concerning. Um, and you brought up the fact that if there is a vacuum created there, if we're not pri- providing that to them, who, who are they going to get it from? Primarily from the Middle East right now. I mean, the, the Qatar and the, and the Emirates and others are more than willing to, to backfill uh, projects and, and backfill orders that we can't we can't for whatever reason fulfill. And again, it's surrendering market share. It just it, and voluntarily surrendering market share for future products and future commitments. When when you build an LNG facility, you lock in ten year contracts. You know, you lock in uh, long term stability financial stability for both the supplier and and for the buyer it is it's a really smart uh transaction and the biden administration again deathly afraid of losing the election this is really what it's all about they're trying to figure out where can they make up a margin of one or two or three percent here and there and i think we're going to see a lot of really lousy policy decisions going forward coming out of the administration not that we haven't had any for the last three years, but uh, going forward, we're going to see some real heartaches just based on getting them limping past November if they possibly can. Yeah, I guess according to the Biden administration, uh, turning away business and sending them to our enemies is good policy. Go figure. I've never, I never knew that in, in politics. Um, OK, sure. I want to ask you about this graphic because you tweeted this out and this is absolutely brilliant for, for all of these. Uh, blue-haired, green climate activists across America who throw paint on the Mona Lisa in Europe and they stop traffic here. Uh, I think that this graphic is really important for them to see because a few weeks ago, it seems like the entire eastern half of the country was blanketed in snow and crazy freezing temperatures. And in this graphic uh, it is the share of U.S. energy delivered by source for the week ending January 19th of 2024 of this year. 62% of the energy provided was from natural gas, which I think is fantastic. I want to look at the other end of the spectrum, though. Only 1% was provided by solar, 2% from hydroelectric, and 4% by wind. Now, I'm going to take the weekend off, and I'm heading to Palm Springs, and there's a, you know what I'm talking about. On the way to Palm Springs, there is this big wind farm that is almost always sitting still. Maybe that's why those numbers are sitting at 1%, 2 and 4%. You know, it's it's a, it's a great point. Look, natural gas keeps the light, lights on during cold spells and keeps your house cool during warm spells. Renewables can help, but you cannot depend upon weather. You can't depend on weather dependent sources of energy if the weather isn't favorable. And that's the bottom line. And uh, we we have to be able to have more of all of the above if we want to grow our economy. We want to, We need to be able to have access to energy that's what makes us a first world country is affordable reliable access to energy for all people and uh look that was proud 
No, I, I said, let's get up to 70% next time. Let's go team. And, and uh, uh, I really do think it's true. Natural gas is the most dependable, most affordable, most reliable source of energy we have right now to provide that for that transition to a greater electrified economy. And we're proud to be part of that. Uh, the other side needs to kind of realize that they cannot get from here to there without us. Just because John is out this week does not mean that we are going to skip over one of our favorite people, one of our favorite guests. John sat down with AMAX Bobby Charles, so check it out, and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back, America. The Association of Mature American Citizens, better known as AMAC, has been doing some outstanding advocacy work under its current leadership. Uh, as you remember, we had a special earlier uh, this month on a plan to start a training program for senior citizens and other Americans who want to get more politically involved. It was called Boot Camp for Boomers. It occurred in Florida at the Villages, and uh, it was an incredible event. NCAA swimmer Riley Gaines, Congressman Byron Donalds, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, three guests who are on our show, well, they all uh, were participants in that event. And of course, uh, Rebecca Weber, the CEO, was uh, there as well. A lot of buzz. I heard a lot of positive feedback. We're very lucky to be joined by AMAX national spokesman, Bobby Charles. He's here to bring us up to speed, not only on that event, but on some of the big issues that are of concern for uh, AMAC members today. He joins us for this sponsored segment. Bobby, welcome back. Great to have you on. Look, it's great to be with you, John, and I'll tell you, it was spectacular. Uh, we we kind of did an after action this morning for an hour, and what an amazing opportunity. Frankly, these ought to happen all over the country. Uh, you had not only great names there working together, but it's real strategy about how to go after some of these big issues that are going to be critical in 2004. So you had Riley Gaines, and of course you had Rebecca and a, other the congressman and, and a bunch of others there, but it was all about how do you do this thing, what do you do, what can you do, and how can you get involved in a way that will fundamentally change the the outcomes in your state and uh, and ultimately nationally. So, you know, AMAC is always at the forefront. They're really on the cutting edge of what it means to be a conservative in America. It's a family. It's as you often say, John, it's a family dedicated yeah. to getting this thing right. And uh, this boot camp was just amazing. It, it, it was every seat in the house filled, standing room only. And I personally think we're going to see these all over the country because they, they proved that if you get conservatives together and they conscientiously work to try to identify what needs to be done in the run-up to an election or in, in the public dialogue, uh, boy, they, they have great ideas. They, they kind of reinforce each other. And at the end of the day, AMAC is really leading the charge here. 
Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. It's amazing to watch. And uh, the buzz was, hey, we want more of these civic engagement. I think a lot of people uh, over the last few years, are, is my vote, my vote worth it? Can I really make a difference or does this tsunami of silliness that's in Washington just going to overtake the country? And I think AMAC reinforced that by getting involved, by being civically engaged, you can make a difference. I think that's a sentiment we got to get nationwide before November of this year. Uh, what do you think are the next steps for AMAC members and others? who want to get involved like we just saw at the villages? Well, I think the first thing is make sure that you get as many other friends to sign up for AMAC as you can, because this is a community effort. I mean, one person, many hands makes light the load. One person cannot do this alone in a community, in a state. But, you know, we have millions of members, AMAC members, and it's like a network. It's really a family, a network of people constantly reinforcing each other, working to try to get their voices heard at the legislative level, at the state level, but also in the public environment and at the federal level. I mean, just next week, I know that other members of AMAC are going to be all over Capitol Hill reinforcing the importance of accountability, the importance of, uh, of uh, fiscal responsibility, the importance of, the, of our constitutional amendments, and actually working to try to get members to embrace those messages and to lead in their own worlds. Which uh, So I think the next steps, John, actually are get as many people to be members as you can, reinforce it in your own state, in your own community, and try to remember that America is us. America is uh, the degree to which we get involved, that, that's America. And so if we want to define or redefine or re reawaken America and bring it back to what we know to be true and get political leaders to uh, support that, it really is all about just really getting out there and letting them know that you care about these issues and you're going to be you're going to you're going to be a worker in the in the trenches for them. Uh, so important. Uh, and when you talk about uh, Congress and accountability, some uh, disturbing news in the last couple of weeks here. The January 6th Democrat committee uh, apparently destroyed a bunch of evidence, more than 100 documents that were both password protected, then deleted. Fortunately, Republicans were able to recover. But I don't think ever in my lifetime, Bobby, I would be talking to you and say, hey, Congress got rid of some evidence. It destroyed evidence. We're living in these crazy times. It seems like that's one of the places where accountability may need, be, may need to be meted out, which is in Congress itself. Yeah, you're absolutely right, John. So I ran the better part of the Oversight Committee for about five years doing all kinds of investigations. It would never have crossed our mind to destroy real evidence. Uh, real evidence is real evidence. It's it's like in a trial. You don't uh, you don't you know go to find the gun in the locker and find that it, it was tossed away by the last prosecutor. So uh, it, it is very disturbing. They weren't just documents. They were files. So, yeah. you know, what you what you have is uh, and I a great hat tip to Congressman uh, Loudermilk and to some of the others because they're really putting their arms around this. They're being very thoughtful about the way that they approach the release of information. But what they are finding is that the January 6th narrative, the January 6th committee's narrative was, uh, it appears, really untrue. They, they created what they wanted to create. They threw away what they didn't want people to see. They eliminated clips that were vindicating or, or uh, uh, helped to get people back in a position of, of being honestly evaluated. And instead, they created a political narrative. Narrative. They were going after Donald Trump. They insisted that they would uh, invent the story that they wanted to, and they went after it. It's it's really, you know, in, in the law, John, and you probably know this, some of your listeners and viewers know this, uh, if you're bringing a case, there, there's an obligation on the part of a prosecutor who works for the public, just like a member of Congress, just like an investigator for the member of Congress. There's an obligation to release exculpatory material. It, you do not, not only do you not destroy it, you have to bring it forward to the public. It's called Brady evidence or Jenks evidence. 
and it has to be done or you as a prosecutor can, can be tossed out on your ear. So I really look at this, John, and I ask myself the question, were there members of that committee, and we know who they were, who gave the nod to the destruction and the concealing of material evidence in that in that inquiry, and are they potentially subject to legal action? I don't know the answer, but I think that's the next question. Yeah, and we're going to have some breaking news on this. There were some members who also might have been trying to create financial benefit for a key witness on January 6th. We're going to have more of that in the next couple of days on Just the News. Bobby, another place that I think is so fascinating is uh, accountability in the courts. There seems to be a growing sentiment in America that some of the courts, particularly District of Columbia and federal, whether state or, uh, or New York, whether state or federal, they feel like they're getting more politically involved as opposed to just uh, ar arbitrating the law. Is that a real concern? Do AMAC members feel that? I think they do. And I think what they look at, and I there's some writing up on the on the AMAC.us uh, site today on this topic. I think what they're what they're seeing is that the idea that John Roberts pushed forward in 2018, that Trump was somehow wrong, that there are Obama judges and there are more judicially conservative judges. Roberts said, no, 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 we're all just one here. It's one big happy family, all independent judicial uh, folks who, who have no political leaning. That's completely false. What we're seeing in the D.C. Circuit in particular is that the Obama judges and the Biden judges are are literally preemptively deciding things often on opinions that they issue no uh, they, they they don't even issue an opinion they just decide it and uh, one of those cases actually uh, was uh, came out in the last few days which yeah. has to do with a gag order uh, for President Trump and and they basically just uh, you know they, they tossed away the entire history of gag orders and of the First Amendment in order to come down against Trump interestingly when uh, and they just did that in a prior case as well and you right. can see it on the circuit if you see it on the writing but the bottom line is John that we expect our judicial uh, branch to be a check on the political branch. We do not expect it to be political. And when we talk about judicial activism, that is politics on the bench. It's not good for America. And I think that's one reason we need to get back to real judges. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we're back, Natalia Middlestat from justthenews.com. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back from the commercial break. As I teased at the top of the show, we've got a few stories from justthenews.com that I want to talk about with one of John's star reporters, Natalia Middlestat. Natalia, welcome. Yeah, of course. Thank you. All right. So this election integrity group, uh, they are bipartisan because after all, Democrats did used to care about election integrity, but they talked about these uh, 14 reforms that states should enact in their elections. 
some of them I read were um, not necessarily something that I would think of, but some of them were literally the most obvious, um, the most obvious adjustments that people should make. Can you kind of kind of walk us through these reforms? Sure. So yeah, the Honest Elections Project uh, came out with an updated report uh, just this few days ago about um, what the states should do in order to shore up their elections and. Um, Specifically, the executive director, Jason Sneed, was saying that um, this year there are newer election in integrity threats that the left is pu pushing, such as ranked choice voting, non-citizen vote, non-citizen voting and um, foreign influence through donations. Um, and so one of the uh, many reforms that they listed was that states should prohibit sue and settle litigation, which is where activists would sue election will sue government officials to secure an agreement to basically ignore or rewrite an election law. Um, and the purpose of the reform is to make sure that elected lawmakers are the ones writing election law, not courts um, through these settlements. And so um, that was one of the biggest threats that Jason Sneed said he believes we'll see this year is this, these type of uh, litigated cases. Lordy, I hope so. Um, and I remember that one of the provisions as well was to investigate and pros prosecute election crimes. But one thing, Natalia, that we learned, if anything, from the 2020 election is that it is very hard to fix anything on the backside, whether you take it to court there, you know, they're going to say, you know, you don't have standing or there wasn't uh, anyone who was injured by it or whatever the case may be. So the main thing, the message that resonated the most with me about this list is that this stuff has to happen on the front side because on the backside, you got no recourse. Yep. Yeah, that's very true. As we've seen with the many election lawsuits um, since 2020, some still ongoing, even from uh, 2022. Um, that's a lot harder to win it through the courts. Yeah, absolutely. OK, I want to switch gears to another story that you have been following. Oregon GOP state senators who staged a walkout over abortion. They cannot run for reelection, according to the Supreme Court. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So what happened was that um, the Oregon Supreme Court ruled that 10 Republican state senators uh, won't be able to run for re-election because they participated in a six-week-long quorum-denying walkout last year. Um, the, basically, the court decided to side with the Secretary of State after, uh, in 2022, voters had passed approved of a me measure that amended the state constitution, uh, basically saying that lawmakers couldn't have more than 10 unexcused absences um, if they want to run again. So that is what happened in that case. So they didn't do anything illegal. It was just contrary to the rules of, of their governing body, right? Uh, well, basically, the voters had passed um, a new constitutional amendment in 2022. Yeah. So basically, um, this now says that, well, if you have more than 10 unexcused absences, you can't run for reelection, which seems like a very particular um, <laughs> amendment. But apparently there had been a few walkouts before um, from 2019 to 2021. So um, they had this happen repeatedly. Yeah, I think that's called addressing the problem directly. It sounds like they did just that. Mm -hmm. um, and Natalia, we are nine, 10 months away from an election. And I am still not convinced that much has been done with respect to clean elections, cleaning voter rolls, all of the provisions that were recommended in this package. Are you confident that the 2024 election is going to be uh, fairly integrous? Well, there are some states that have made progress and then there are many other states that haven't. So um, there's some with, you know, Georgia and others that have passed uh, or are working on uh, more election integrity laws, whether it's voter ID 
or um, securing mail-in ballots and things like that. Um, but then you have others such as New York and California that uh, have more lenient laws or Michigan where they just passed something similar to the H.R. 1 bill um, to expand um, <laughs> other issues that we've seen before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how it works out. But um, there's definitely a lot of work to still be done. Natalia always does such a thorough job of reporting on all of these things. John John really has a great team of reporters. And you know, if John hired them, they have to be great at their job. So, all right, everybody, that's going to do it for us today. Make sure you tune in tomorrow and Sunday to John Solomon Reports. I'm going to be filling in for John on those two days, and then he's going to be back on Monday. So everybody have a fantastic Friday. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now.